Well, hello and welcome to our Parental Leave Essentials Q&A. I'm Emma Walsh. I'm the founder of education provider Parents at Work and I'm joined by lawyer, author and fellow passionate working parent advocate Catherine Brooks. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to be starting the first of these informative conversations and look, we'll be recording it so you can share it with working families out there who might find it valuable. Um, So those of you that are listening to this, please share it um, with the parents in your network if you think it's helpful to someone you know. Um, So let's get started. Um, Catherine, you know, with your legal background and my career and HR background and multiple kids between us, um, we're hoping that we might have a few things to share um, for parents listening, um, but also for workplaces because the reality is having a baby isn't, you know, easy. And, you know, frankly, the parental leave transition experience faced by many can feel super challenging. Um, So we're here today to see if we can help make those parental leave transitions just that little bit easier. Um, We've had a host of questions come in from you. So thank you. Um, For those of you that have enrolled, um, thank you. And we'll get to as many of these as we can um, in this first Q&A. But Catherine, you know, how about we start with some basics, some home truths around parental leave? Because for many, like birth, it often doesn't go to plan, does it? Oh, no, um, absolutely. And, absolutely. <laughs> um, look, and certainly in my experience, you know, I've not had yet one parent who has said, yep, piece of cake, got this, all good, yep, no dramas, about their parental leave experience. You know, for so many, there's an array of reactions and situations that they have to deal with and no one kind of tells you about this before you fall pregnant and before you know it you're kind of left reeling about you know your own and other reactions to having a baby and and you know if what when who and how and you know all that kind of Spanish Spanish inquisition feeling you can get um, about how it's all going to play out do I go back to work when how who as I said Um, so let's tackle some of the parental leave biggies that we know can throw some curveballs for people. Um, Catherine, I'm going to start with you. You know, what are your top list, if you like, of parental leave essential things that you think all parents need to be aware of? Well, I think it, it, you're right. It's really difficult well, to plan for parental really leave. I mean, the first thing is that no matter how well planned you are, you're never going to know what kind of child you're going to have. And you also don't know how having a baby is going to affect you or your partner. So there are a whole range of things that you need to take into account. And I think the best thing that you can do is have a plan, but then have multiple backup plans. Um, And some of the questions that I've seen that have been sent in really um, relate to this and talk about, um, you know, how do I know when I should be returning and how should I put my best foot forward in doing the plan? And I think, Again, probably the best thing that you can do is to have a plan, but then to be realistic and make sure that you've got a seat at the table, um, but also really good communication up front with your manager in case things do change and you do need to change your return to work plan with with the employer. And I guess the other variable that can be thrown in there are operational changes within an organisation. So it might be the case that whilst you're on leave, there are some changes within the workplace and it is legal, obviously, at that point for an employer to um, implement the changes and potentially even make your job redundant. So it's really important that you're um, you know, keeping in touch throughout your whole um, leave period and making sure that you've got that communication with your manager, even if you're not sure if you are 
going to want to return to work, my recommendation is that you plan as if you are and then um, make sure that you've got that seat at the table and and plan to be be going back. And even if you're not sure exactly when, lock in a time and then just keep checking in with your manager up until that time. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. It's better to have your options open, right? Because, you know, the amount of people who think, you know, um, that pregnancy and the birth of a child is their great opportunity to take a break from the workforce um, and to get out of the job that they might have been in a rut with or, um, you know, just simply they really, you know, den- uh, genuine, desperately need a break, right? Um, and so there's this thought that goes through their mind around, I just don't even think about going back to work and staying in charge. I just really need to immerse myself in um, motherhood, parenthood, fatherhood, whatever it might be. And, you know, then suddenly, you know, months go by and there's this work conversation that's potentially looming. But if you've sort of cut off all the channels for communication and you suddenly decided, actually, I do need to go back, I want to go back, um, you've potentially limited some of your options um, you know, unfortunately, you know, and uh, so I do think you're right, even if you're not sure, keeping in touch is important. Yeah, absolutely. And there are keeping in touch provisions in legislation that actually specify that an employer has to keep in touch with you. But I think it's actually a dual obligation. And even if you don't feel like it, even if you're really tired and you're run down, I think it's really important to check in. Um, You know, I was probably a bit extreme in that I would pop in every week or two, but I felt like I was part of a community at work and I missed my, my community. So it was really important for me to take Bub in and just go and have a coffee with some of my work colleagues every now and then. Um, But even if you just do it once a month, even if you are just um, maybe having a WhatsApp discussion with your manager or you've got an email um, chain of communication set up with HR, whatever's right for you and your organisation, I think it's just really important to have that regular catch-up and check-in so that people know you're still alive and that you're still planning on returning to work, even if you are in that love bubble and you're really, you know, delving into the whole world of parenting that's awesome but just make sure you've got this um you know career option um and and backup plan yeah open to you know this was obviously really important to you because you know your day job is as a lawyer and yet on your parental leave or after your parental leave experience you went to the trouble to write a book (laughs) about this let's make it work baby Uh, which I love, you know, you found the time to write that book and if you're just telling me you were keeping in touch, you know, pretty regularly, um, finding the time to write that must have required you to dig deep. But obviously you were passionate about it. What prompted you to really write that book about all of this stuff? What, What did you want people to know through it? Yeah, it was interesting. So I started just writing little blog articles and talking really passionately about how supportive my firm had been to me while I was transitioning away from and then back to work. Um, And when I started publishing these articles, I got contacted by just an overwhelming amount of mostly women saying that they were so surprised um, to hear my positive stories and what I'd been talking about is basically a utopia that they think that they'll never be able to get access to. And I thought, wow, this is really unfortunate because I think what I was afforded is actually a no-brainer and um, obviously it was in line with legal obligations. Um, and also my firm benefited from me um, working flexibly and being able to return 
return to work. So I guess that um, experience combined with the fact that I'm an employment lawyer and I've seen, um, because in my, in my general day, day job, I represent the employers, so the actual business. So I see a lot of the requests for flexible work that get refused. And so I thought, okay, if I can, mm. can combine all of this information into a, a really easy to read. I, at that stage, I thought it was an FAQ sheet, so just something that could be downloaded, um, you know, quite easily by parents that wanted to get some information about their legal entitlements and obligations. Um, you know, then then that's something that I should share with the world. So I started writing it, um, and I actually started writing it at night on my smartphone because I had a baby that wouldn't sleep in a cot and basically breastfed all night long, while because he was obviously making up for lost time when I was at work during the day and so I was sort of lying in bed very bored with a stuck under a breastfeeding baby and um started writing this this FAQ sheet and I and I guess things just poured out of me from then because I had a lot to share just based on a from a legal perspective but then also having lived the experience myself um and so then I turned to interviewing other parents because I thought actually what I've learned the most from um, the work that I do in this space is how other parents make it work. So that was a really cool part too. Got to um, interview a stay-at-home dad, a same-sex couple, um, tried to make sure that the experiences that I was sharing up were as broad and varied as possible. So that was, yeah, that was really cool as well. Mm. And I think, yeah, um, so essential because you've got this unique insight and I feel the same, and not legal background, but my HR background was the same. You know, I worked in-house in an organisation, saw all the requests coming through, um, the, the challenges in particular to flexible work at the time um, and just generally how people were treated around their parental leave transition and recognising that there is a gap. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, in, in people. Yeah. yeah, and I think exactly. some of the um, things that I saw were, you know, parents making applications for flexible work where they'd thought really long and hard about what was going to be right for their family, but then they'd failed in thinking about the operational requirements of the business or they'd failed in trying to preempt some of the difficulties that the manager, um, that they knew the manager would put forward. Um, also, some of the communication tactics that we used. So, um um, as we talked about before, not keeping in touch and then lobbying in a flexible work request after, you know, nine or 12 months out of the office and the manager sort of really being taken off guard. And so I wanted to put in the book a whole range of um, tips around communication strategies and negotiation strategies. So obviously meeting face-to-face -face so that you can gauge someone's um, reactions but also asking the manager themselves, what do, what do you think could work or what options would be available so that you've got that information before you put in your flexible work request, um, which can be really valuable and then go a long way towards, you know, upsetting anyone or go a long way towards getting your application approved well before you've sort of gone down the wrong path. So there were sort of the, some of those tips and tricks that I wanted to share so that, you know, hopefully other parents can learn and, and as you say, um, make sure that we're all getting the benefit of flexible work. Yeah, exactly. And the, the other interesting thing is there'll be lots of people listening into this today that may or may not have access to, um, well, frankly, both the government pay parental leave because they're not eligible due to perhaps the um, income test, yeah. but also the, the company uh, paid parental leave schemes. You know, less than 50% of Australian workplaces have 
paid parental leave schemes in place, um, which leaves you know majority of Australians actually reliant on the government's paid scheme. But there is a crossover where some are eligible for both, and there is some um, sometimes some confusion. To be fair, on you know what just what people are eligible for, which which um, paid parental leave scheme trumps the other one? Does the government one trump the, you know, company one? Does the company one, you know, trump the government one? And, you know, how the two work together, in fact, to support people. So we've got sort of myriad of, of options that around parental leave that most Australians are exposed to. But the fact, the fact is the majority of Australians won't have a company paid parental leave scheme in place and it's highly unlikely that their company will have um, a parental leave policy in writing um, of any kind, mm. actually, um, which is, you know, kind of astounding in 2018, which makes this conversation so important because it, it, it can be unlikely that they're going to get access to that kind of information from their employer. So, you know, let's from your legal perspective, one of the questions I had for you even in, that I thought would be valuable for the audience would be where do you go if you're not sure just what your legal entitlements are? Yeah, it's a great question. I think definitely first off is the Fair Work Ombudsman. So that's a free resource where you can go online and you can also contact them. And they've got a huge amount of information on there around parental leave, including paid and unpaid parental leave. They also um, have guides and resources that refer you off to the Family Assistance Office, and that's the um, government organisation that actually provides the paid parental leave information. Um, and then the other thing, you know, that I would strongly recommend is to have a look on your company intranet. So you should be having a look and seeing if there's any policies and procedures um, or tips that might lead you to find the answers um, in relation to a company provided um, any kind of paid entitlement. Um, if there's nothing in the policy or procedure, you should also check to see if there was anything mentioned in your contract of employment or in an enterprise agreement if that applies to your employment. So my partner recently just got a job with a university. The first thing I did was go onto the Fair Work Ombudsman website, checked um, and saw that he had an enterprise agreement that applied to his position. And then I went very quickly to the parental leave section, seeing as I'm about to give birth for my second baby. Um, and in that in industrial instrument, I was able to find that he had some paid parental leave um, pay that we'd be able to get once we, I gave, give birth. So that's... Um, that's fantastic, but you know it's pretty hard to navigate your way through all of these these documents and instruments. So I think first off, go to the Federal Ombudsman website, have a look and read up about the paid and unpaid entitlements. If you're not sure, you can speak internally to your HR people. But I know that that's hard for some people, particularly if you're doing a bit of forward planning, which is obviously preferable. You don't necessarily want to alert anyone to the fact that you're thinking about having a baby. So if you don't want to speak to HR, the other option would be to speak to another person within the organisation that you know has recently had a baby because they might have already done the research for you. Um, so that's another tip there too. Yeah, exactly. And look, um, Parents at Work also has a helpline so people can contact us if they're not entirely sure um, what their options are or where to find information and, and we'll do our best to help as well. Um, let's go to a couple of questions and, you know, you, 
you're quite right. I bet there's lots of things going through your mind right now as you get ready for your second parental mm-hmm. leave um, and what you learnt from the first round um, and what you might do differently. So let's just start there. That's my question for you and then we'll come to some of the questions that we've had from others. What would I do differently second time around? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what reflection? for you second time around um yeah I guess I've got a very different expectation in relation to hours of work so um one of the best bits of um one of the best tips that I was given before taking parental leave was to transition down and then to transition back up and I know that that can be a bit of a luxury for some people but if you can transition down I think it's excellent because you can test out the veracity of your employer or manager to actually embrace flexible work so before you've even had the baby you know you can get really tired and I've currently got a cold so you know you can get a bit sick and, and worn down before you give birth so it is a really good opportunity to say, okay, I'm actually going to start leaving the office at 3 p.m. or um, would it be okay with you, manager, if I um, work from home in the afternoon, for example, on, you know, Thursdays and Fridays, whatever it is, so that you can test the veracity, you can test yourself, like as in I had to test my own ability to be able to leave work at a certain time. Um, And then I did the same thing transitioning back up but I think um, certainly second time around I guess I understand more about the breastfeeding child and the fact that not all children take a, a bottle and um, basically my husband and I both did three days on three days off and so I kind of just handed him a newborn and said good luck to you I'm going off to work for three days and that was obviously a bit of a shock to the system for a three-month-old baby and and my partner so obviously not going to be doing that um, second time around so so me um biggest difference in my um parental leave plan is that we've actually hired an au pair which we're just absolutely loving um and so that's a live-in nanny that's going to assist us with the toddler and the newborn um she can't actually look after the newborn under sort of six months old for any extended period of time so I'll obviously be juggling work a lot more from home um but it's I guess it's just really important to me to still be working and to still feel like I'm part of the workforce so just um thinking a bit more strategically about how I can deliver the results to my clients without actually being in an office so I think that's sort of the biggest difference for me um letting my my partner still go back to work and then having an au pair um to assist us hopefully it's going to be a big game changer Uh, yep and as we say best laid plans (laughs) um I I agree I mean the key thing is to just you know have some options right and as you say have a few things and plans see what works let's go to some of the questions we've had from the audience so um I've just picked out a couple so that I think got similar themes to what some of the um the people generally have called in about this time and uh, next time we talk, we can perhaps cover off some that we didn't get to if um, if that's needed. Mm. So I thought this was a good one because um, a few people had this around the actual return to work period. You know, how do I know when it's the right time to return to work? You know, mm. I'm planning for leave now, but I know I might change my mind. Yeah. How much notice should I be given? How accurate must I be? Because, people, you know, obviously this person's got is starting to really think about it and is probably being asked 
Um, and there were a similar, there are a few similar questions in that vein. Yeah. So I've got some thoughts on that, but what's your thought on that? Um, well, my first thought was that there's never going to be a right time. It's always actually going to be tricky and tough. Um, because if you say that the right time for you is six months, for example, you might have the baby and really miss work at the three-month mark um, and realise that you actually want to go back earlier or do some work in a different way. Um, conversely, you might say you're going to have 12 months off and you get to the 12 months and you the thought of leaving your baby is absolutely appalling to you. So I don't think there's ever a right time. Um, my recommendation would be to lock in a date um, as soon as you can. Again, I think it's about ensuring the seat that you've got a seat at the table to return to. Um, there's no legal obligation around, um, you know, specific timing, but um, you obviously need to make sure that you're giving your manager enough time to be able to um, change any um, plans that have been put in place. So, you know, I think from my perspective, it's Having a, having a think and having a discussion with your partner about, you know, financially how long can you take off, emotionally how long do you think that you'll be able to go, um, you know, being at home with your child and, and when do you think you'll be ready. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think you're ever, ever going to really know and I think you're better off locking in a, in a time and then being flexible if you can with hours of work, for example. Yeah, look, I agree. I, like anything, like having a baby, is there a right time? Probably not. Um, it's really about what suits you, your family, your personal situation, your finances, all of those things, um, and taking them into the mix and going, well, what feels right, you know, and um, putting in a, um, a date down or a month down in particular mm -hmm. and being able to give yourself revisit time, being able to say, look, this is my intention, that may or may not play out and I'm um, I'm putting that out there and that, you know, what I will do is check in nearer the time and if you check in with me, that would be great um, so that we can continue just to see how realistic that is. Then that's what I call, that passes what I call the reasonable test. You know, that's reasonable for you, that's reasonable for the other person you're speaking to, um, your leader, your, your employer more broadly. Um, that, that seems... Um, doable right however I do know and I have heard of cases where um, people have felt really pushed into um, being you know actually providing a, a, a literal date well in advance of when they need to because the manager is feeling um, you know really wants the backfill in place um, wants to know whether you're coming back or not so he can he or she can appoint um, someone to that role for a period of time and and it, you know people can feel the parents can feel the pressure to be making a decision um, a quite a specific decision well ahead of time from when might be reasonable for them to be asked to do so so I always think you know does it you know from a gut reaction you know is it passing the reasonable test for you you know and if, if you don't think it is what's being asked of you how do you start to socialise that with other people in your network that you feel safe to do so and get some initial reactions and some guidance from them about, you know, does that sound reasonable to you? Um, and so that you can kind of gauge, um, you know, what is, um, as I said, what is reasonable and then from there be able to, to formulate a conversation if it's not around how you can, um, you know, great, create wiggle room that you need, frankly. Um, at the same time keeping in 
in, um, into account some empathy for your leaders that are trying to do their best to get your role covered while you're off. Um, so I hope that for you that um, I sent that question in, that's a, um, a useful answer. Let's go to the next one because um, I think it's connected with this. Um, I'm uncomfortable with taking time off for medical appointments uh, and sickness, etc. cetera. It, it makes me feel, uh, sorry, look less committed to my work. I'm not. I'm just trying to manage the juggle unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. This is someone who's feeling already the the juggle before the baby, you know, is even happening by the sounds of it. So they've got the medical mm-hmm. appointments. They're already obviously been managing some um, sickness already, whether that's um, pregnancy sickness, I'm not sure, but they're already feeling that they look less committed to work. They're saying they're not. How, how are they starting to manage that? So what's your thoughts on on that? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I used to um, manage quite a big team and I used to hate leaving before any of the other team members had left and the managing partner of our firm said to me, Catherine, you actually need to lead by example and it's absolutely okay for you to leave at a normal time, whether that's 5, 5.30 or or even leave loudly if you're leaving at 4 p.m. and tell people I'm going at 4 because I've got a doctor's appointment or because I want to go, you know, see a child at sport, for example, um, and that that's okay. And so I think that this person is obviously feeling they're putting a lot of demands and expectations on themselves that is potentially unreasonable. So I think that first off, um, it may be a self-imposed thing or it might be a cultural thing within the team, but you've absolutely got the right to go and attend your medical appointments and to take that leave. Um, one of the ways that I manage it is to make sure that I'm still available when I'm when I'm going to the hospital and I, I go through, um, when I have my pregnancies, I go through the public system, which means you can often be sitting, you know, in a waiting room for a few hours waiting for the obstetrician or the, the midwife. So, you know, I think it's really important if you can to take your mobile phone or your laptop and just let people know I'm going to be sitting in a waiting room but I'm still available to you if that is possible. Um, but the other option is obviously to, if you are worried about missing out on um, work opportunities or work time, then to schedule in your appointments and then make up the time. And that's all about flexible work. It's got to be give and take. So you might be out of the office from 9 till 12, but then that means you can stay back in the evening and then you'll be able to demonstrate your commitment that way. Yeah, look, I think it's all about judgment, isn't it? About, you know, how are you feeling judged um, and are you judging yourself? And in this kind of instance, I I guess, um, if you're placing a judgment on yourself that you're feeling like you look like you're less committed, then, you know, we have to be careful of then what's the tone we are setting, you know? So if we're judging ourselves, it's highly likely that we're opening ourselves up to be judged by others. And that's that whole, you say, making excuses, trying to hide the fact that, you know, you might have to leave or, um, you know, trying to contain, you know, as much minimal visible um, distress that might be happening to you and hoping that no one's noticing around you. Um, So, you know, just checking your own judgment. And Look, I've got this great story actually I'll share now that, it's one particular person, um, uh, a mother that was in a team who was pregnant and she also had a, a dad, a, you know, a, a, her colleague was uh, becoming a father for the first time. So they're both pregnant uh, around the same time as each other. And 
she was in that camp of feeling, judging herself and going, oh, I feel really uncomfortable about leaving all the time because for the medical appointments and, and so on. And her reflection is what she noticed her colleague did, the dad did, he sent an email out to the team and said, hi, everyone, as you know, we're having a baby. We're really excited about it. Just want to put it out there letting you know I'll be going to appointments. Um, so you might see me coming and going a bit, but, you know, I just want to let you know that what I'm doing and, you know, it was that whole leaving loudly bit, right? And the, what the mother in that moment in the team reflected on was she realised she hadn't done that. She had been trying to make excuses and, you know, hide it and, you know, limit it and was really worried about what other people would think about her in that response. And it was such a brilliant lead by example bit because she went, right, oh, my goodness, if you're doing that, I am so doing that. So there was this great... Um, role modeling I guess that went on in that team and just the positive response yeah. then happened that's awesome and I mean um, I love, and that was life right like <laughs> this stuff is gonna happen yeah, it is yeah. Yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly but it was great because she realized she'd been there was some a lot of self-limiting beliefs there that she'd put in place she was being the judge and jury on herself um, and assuming that everyone else would be uncomfortable about that. Um, so I thought that was a, you know, a good thing to share on that particular um, question. All right, there's another good one I'm going to get to around my manager is supportive of a flexible return to work but it's reluctant to commit to a structured flexible work arrangement until I've returned because he wants to see how it goes when I'm back. So now I feel I'm in limbo. I'm not sure what I should ask for up front if a gradual return to work is even possible or what hours he's actually expecting from me when I'm back, exclamation mm. mark. Um, so that's a common one. I've seen that play out many times for people where the manager does this great, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine, we'll work it out mm. when you get back. It's really Which really leaves the person going, oh, what's possible, what isn't, and really uncomfortable around what to push forward with next. Yeah. What, what's your thought when that happens? <laughs> Look, I always operate on the basis of you're better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So if you can, if you feel that you're in that position too, I would be really firm and say this is my proposal. So this is what I think will work and lob it in. Lob in the flexible work request. Say, oh, this, here's, here's my first starting point um, for a discussion and let's say, for example, I'm going to work three days a week and it's going to be 10 till 3. Um, and just be really firm that this is – so they're, they're obviously being non-committal. Um, they're, they're the ones that aren't putting the, um, you know, the arrangements in writing. So I think at that point you've got to. I think you've got to try and take control. And at least at that point, even if they refuse that request, you're in the midst of a discussion then. So you're actually then having a negotiation about what the days or hours could be and, and could look like. Until you do that, if they're just saying – We'll organise it when you come back. Well, it's it's chicken before the egg. You're never going to come back if you don't know what the what the hours or expectations are. So I think that the first thing that you've got to do is really think about the operational requirements and the hours that could work and fit in with the business, um, and obviously preempt any concerns that they might have about, for example, job sharing or or who's going to man the phones if you're not there. You know, think about all those things so that you can preempt those those questions but at least lob something in so that you can start that discussion and sort of push them to really have the to think about you know what your arrangements are going to look like when you do return 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's really difficult when it's really murky about what is being agreed to. It is incredibly tricky because what happens then is that you have a set of expectations around what's going to happen and so does your leader and they may not be the same. Even though there's been this great, it'll be right, we'll be fine, we'll work it out kind of attitude to it. Um, When push comes to shove and that hot seat decision um, needs to be made and and you are back at work winging it, um, there can be some real tension points regardless of how wonderful your relationship is with your leader. Um, because of those mixed expectations from the beginning. So I would agree with you that whilst it's great to have some flexibility around how your return to work plan is actually going to play out um, and be open to it being agile because that's the point, right, of a flexible work arrangement, it's flexible. You don't want to um, put in something that's so carved out in stone that you worked really hard at trying to lock in only to find out when you're back it doesn't Mm. work and feeling really embarrassed that you have to go back cap in hand going, I'm really sorry, I know I'll push hard for this, but it's not working. Um, And that's uncomfortable. So there does have to be, you know, there, there is a bit of winging it that's good and there is a little bit of agility to it that's good. But I agree with you. I think if you can at least have, well, how about for the first month we do this? Yeah. And then we'll reevaluate um, because that does allow, as I said earlier, the rigor. Mm. But what it does do is put in place for that first month at least an understanding of what's oh, going on. Oh, Emma, happen. that's just the best. And Absolutely. The best tip because I, I really got stuck into that mindset that I need to come up with a work plan that's going to be set in stone for 12 months and it's all forever, you know, and, and we can't wriggle out of it. And then I realized that actually babies don't work like that and what works for one month may not work for the second month or the third month um and so you do have to be really flexible and again if you can and I know again I know it's a luxury but I totally agree with you if if they can put in a trial period I think that is such a good outcome yeah uh, look I think it's ideal if you can and look some employers just won't let you you know they just will want you signed sealed and delivered on no, no, if you're coming back, we want to do this the right way and we want it all locked in, loaded, and you tell me what days we're going to do and, we, you know, that's what we're going to do, right? And, you know, and you can kind of see it from the employer's point of view, right? They're trying to make sure that there's some really clear boundaries and expectations and there isn't stuff left ambiguous where it all does collapse when it doesn't work. Um, but the reality is as well that these kind of things do often need some um, trial and error adjustment. attached to it <laughs> and mm. adjustment but it does mean high trust so if you don't really feel like you've got this high trust relationship yeah. with your leader or your employer yeah. um, then that's challenging and, and I, I'm not going to say that it, that's you know don't worry about it it, it, it'll all pan out because often it yeah. doesn't if there is a low trust environment um, which and that's a different thing right that's how do how do you actually go yeah. into trust um, is different but I would say this when you take a break and you have a baby and you leave the workplace for a period of time you have this great thing called perspective um, and you can actually look back and um look at the way that you were doing the work, look at the relationship you have with your employer and your manager and go, you know, how was that working for me Mm -hmm. before I left? You know, how am I feeling about the way, how connected I feel to them? And 
if it's something that I do want to go back to or I need to go back to, then I want to use this time to actually improve the connection I have because when I come back, it needs to be different. And if you can um, think about how you're going to then do that, um, then I think and have that deliberate conversation with yourself and think about how you're going to build trust in that period and if it's even possible because I get it, sometimes Mm. it's just not and you do have to vote with your feet and, you know, see if you can get a job somewhere else. But um, I do think that there is that option that you've got in whilst you've got this break and this perspective to really be thinking how can I actually build some trust and when I come back start on a different note because mm. it needs to be different. I think the hard thing for mm. parents is that I think the hard when thing you're returning from parental leave, you're so tired and you're in this really vulnerable position where you're just emotionally exhausted. You're probably having three or four hour blocks of sleep if you're lucky and you're then trying to return into a workplace where you, you feel like you've got to sort of get back up to speed and you're putting all these pressures and expectations on yourself. And I certainly know from my perspective, um, you know, I would say um, to the team or to the, the person that I'd appointed to replace my management role, um, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then actually sometimes what I had said we would do wasn't working out. And it's really scary for people to have those discussions face-to-face and to be honest with each other and to say, actually, this is not working out because of blah. And it might be for client reasons. It might be for internal reasons. It might be teamwork reasons. It might be, um, you know, hours of work issues. But um, for, for me, I know I certainly found it was really difficult to have those face-to-face almost confrontational discussions when I was so sleep deprived and it was just really important for me to have the support of HR and have the support of my manager. Um, Even when we did have, you know, high trust and good communication, there were still tough discussions to have. And so I think if you um, go into your return to work and kind of expect that and be like, this is okay, it's actually okay that these discussions are hard. It's actually okay that I haven't got everything perfect and that not everything is right. And if you can accept that there's going to be adjustments needed and that you're not going to, you actually are going to need to have backup plans. And I think that that can make it a lot easier. Um, You're not putting as much pressure on yourself that, oh, I've stuffed up. I haven't got it right. Or um, things aren't working out. It's all too hard. You know, I think if you can just accept that there will be an adjustment period, of course, that that makes sense in retrospect. But yeah, it's, it is a really tough time. It's a it's a vulnerable period. So you know, having the support of a mentor, um, people like parents at work, um, even looking at psychological and you know EAP support is really fantastic. And and just making sure that you're working through everything so that it's not um, everything building up in your own mind and you stressing about things at one a.m. or two a.m. in the morning that that may not actually be reality. I think, you know, just having that um, someone to, to bounce the, that kind of discussion off is, is really important. Yeah, I agree. Well, I reckon that's a good place to probably wrap up for this first episode of um, Parental League Essentials Q&A. We've got, um, you know, some more questions and that's great. Keep them coming through. Catherine and I'll um, hopefully do this again soon, depending on when your bubba arrives. Yeah. It'd and- <laughs> be fun. I'd love it. Yeah. And <laughs> it would. Um, and look, you know, next time, you know, some of the, you know, this is only just the beginning, right? There's just so many different um, myriads of um, conversation we could have now on this topic. But next time I will explore 
um, more on what it's like to be a dad applying for parental leave and, you know, what are the unique kind of scenarios that it faced for them. Um, so we'll talk more, more about that. And I'd also like to talk about career planning in a bit more detail because um, that's often necessary with such changing demands of workplaces um, you know, you can go on leave and come back and your job, gosh, it's gone and you're, mm. you're slotted in somewhere else, new team, new job, what are you doing? Um, so we'll, we'll explore that next time. Thank you very much for your questions. Thanks, Catherine. Great to have this conversation with you. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Emma. It's been so much fun. Great. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening and stay tuned to the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.